This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Hello, everybody. Today, we have Sarah Kuhn on the show. She is a audit consultant at ConocoPhillips. Uh, she also was recognized in her home state of Oklahoma as Oklahoma's rising stars under 40. So uh, always cool to see folks in the audit profession get recognized for things outside of the audit profession like that. And Sarah was actually introduced to us by Julio Torado, who's been on the show. You will hear more from Julio next week, but he will not be in the guest seat. So be sure to check that out. But um, some of the things that we talked about with Sarah and one of the reasons that Julio introduced us to Sarah is because of her passion for technology and some of the things that she and her team are doing um, out there at ConocoPhillips. So a couple of things that we hit on, they've been using RPA tools for um, a while now. So we talked about their journey with RPA, lessons learned, the actual use cases, which I think is always important. It's kind of, I think, hard for a lot of people to wrap their brains around how can we actually use RPA. Um, so we definitely hit on that. One of the tools she mentions is Power Automate. So if you're on Office 365, it's something you should have access to. And it's really just a, a good way to automate some of the processes that you have within other Microsoft products. And I think Sarah does a fantastic job of giving use cases there, as well as letting you know how easy that one is to use. So that might be, if you're interested in automation to some degree, um, be sure to listen to that section of the show and follow the, the guidance that Sarah provides. One of the bigger topics I wanted to ask Sarah about was the dynamic risk assessment that they are building using data. It's one of those things that you hear about. I know, I don't know five years ago, someone came to us asking about it. Um, and it's just like this, it feels like this utopian world that we would want to live in where we have access to all the data and we can just pull up a dashboard and look at the blinking lights and go, oh, we got a, a problem over there today. So let's go, you know, it doesn't make sense to go check it out. And so really, again, asking Sarah about her journey with that, where they are right now, some of the uh, pain points in developing that and things of that nature. And then lastly, considering, you know, um, Sarah and her team have data tools, they have RPA tools, they have buy-in from the very, very top at the um, CEO level for all of this, not just internal, but in for internal audit, but company-wide, which is kind of a dream scenario for a lot of folks when it comes to embedding tech into the audit process. So um, last thing that we hit on is just, Sarah, you have all of this, like you have all this going for you. What else do you want? What's the next step for you guys? And so she gives a really good answer there. So hope you all enjoy. Here we go. What makes your brain happy? 
Yeah. Um, so I think for me, what makes my brain happy really is just learning. Um, I love to learn. And for me, that that really comes out in, per, in my personal life through travel mm-hmm. and through like new cultures and like experiences and meeting people and seeing the stories and um, trying the food. I love to like, you know, go new places, try new recipes, things like that. But just loving to learn is really what makes my heart happy. Um, so being an auditor, that also comes out in my work. Um, because I feel like every audit, you learn something new, like even though you're using the same audit process and you may be auditing, you know, something similar that you've done before, there's just always something new to learn. So I think that's where, you know, all of that comes out. That's what makes me happy. (laughs) I do want to ask you, what is from all your travels, what's your favorite place? And maybe that place could even be like a restaurant where you had a favorite thing. Uh, I hate that question because everyone asks me and I never have a good answer. I, um, I've been to more than 50 countries and more than half of the United States as well. Um, because I figure, you know, you got to know where you come from too. Um, and most of the time I don't go back to the same places more Mm -hmm. than once. So I would say I love Asian food and Asian culture because it's so different from what we no. And like, you know, it's just it, the history there is so long and so um, rich, but also um, I, I will say the places that I paid to take other people back to were Hawaii and China. Yeah. Um, so I guess those are probably two of my favorite places, but th- they're definitely not the end all be all because I've been to so many other places that okay. I absolutely loved. Yeah. So nothing warms, <laughs> nothing warms the heart of a podcast host more than for the guests to say, I hate that question. So, yeah, (laughs) but everybody asks it. So I should have a better answer and I just don't. (laughs) It's the last place I went. That's my favorite place. The last place I went or the place I'm going, that's, that's my favorite place. (laughs) That's the answer. I like that. Okay. Uh, what song makes you happy or what song makes your brain happy? Mm. You're in a bad mood. You hear that song and it's like, Oh, you know what? It's all right. I'm going to say this, this song popped in my head and I don't know why, cause it's a song from like the nineties, but it's, or maybe two thousands, but, um, girl, put your records on by Corrine Bailey Ray. Like, it's just a very light, happy tune. It's kind of that Colby Kelly, Jack Johnson, like, you know, upbeat, happy, relaxed, um, you know, chill vibe. Like those songs just really like, they kind of make me chill, but they also make me happy. So perfect. I- <laughs> Perfect. And then I know we're going to talk tools, but um, audit tools or even productivity tools or even physical tools, I guess. Uh, What's what's your favorite tool? Well, I am a big nerd and I love Microsoft, Um, pretty much everything Microsoft. But I think specifically, uh, if you ask the people I work with, it's probably Microsoft Planner or Microsoft OneNote. Those to me are two like super important tools. Um, I use Planner because everybody's always like adding things to my list all the time and I need something to help me stay grounded and like focused on what I'm doing. And Planner helps me with that. And, you know, I've been using OneNote for a very long time. So I would say OneNote is probably the other thing I got rid of spiral notebooks and like handwritten notes probably 10 years ago um, and started using OneNote. So those are probably the two, I would say, tools that I use the most. Yeah. yeah and I don't think a lot, a lot of people know about OneNote and it is oh. fantastic for, especially just because you can search for everything and anything. Yes. 
Um, and yes, and you can do video, audio, you know, scan things in, type things, handwrite on the screen, like it's just it's everything. Yes, and I keep every and that's people are how do you how do you know that? How do you remember that? I'm like, I have it in my OneNote. Like yeah. it is like all the 500 binders that you used to have, now you have an an app on your yeah. Yeah. You know, phone on your computer, whatever. One note. Great tool. I'm glad you said that. I don't think a lot of people know that. I actually, I know people that are like a, a, the guy whose whole house mm-hmm. is automated, that guy, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, new phone comes out, he gets it, that guy. And he didn't know mm-hmm. about one note, which was surprising to me. And so, um, I know he likes it now. So anyway, okay. I know one of the big things that I wanted to talk about with you was RPA, We've mm-hmm. talked RPA on the show um, a little bit. I know we did one episode where we where we hit it pretty decent, but I know you've gone through, you've worked with various tools, um, RPA tools, and have started to kind of expand that. And so I just mm-hmm. wanted to have you kind of share like your, your journey and your team's journey with RPA uh, and what that looks like now. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think, so first of all, my company, I work for a pretty large company and the company itself is is actually pretty technology forward and and understands the benefits that we can get from technology. So they have been very supported from the top level, from the CEO down in trying to automate processes. So this all kind of came about because we knew that everyone in the business was going to be using this tool. So we as internal audit, we said, okay, well, whether we can use them or not, we need to understand them so we can audit them because people are going to be using them. We need to understand how they work, all the things. So we were, um, had a seat at the table whenever they started looking into the tools and the projects and the applications. And, you know, we, basically we're able to comment and help determine kind of how, what got selected for use of the company. Um, and then once we got involved with that, we started thinking about all the things we could automate, you know, what can we do as part of the process? And, you know, I think that the tool we selected was called UiPath. Mm-hmm. So that's the company that, or the tool that the company is using. And um, they were going to roll it out into different areas. Um, UiPath actually has a lot of really great training. Um, it's a little bit more of a drag and drop, low code, no code tool. So it's pretty low barriers for people to get involved. You can just, you know, you can really do it, you start using it without any training at all. But mm-hmm. If you wanted to do training, they have a lot of training that's available. They made it available to us at the company. You know, with a couple of hours, you could really build a lot of things. It's one of those that um, you can screenshot things and then say, this is where I want you to click. This is where I want you to type. So it, it really can be applied to a lot of different software applications. So for us, we wanted to see... Um, what could we automate and what would make our lives better with an internal audit? And for us, that was a lot of the administrative show, administrative work. So, you know, having to do findings here and then print reports and then update them here and then put them back over here or things like that. So for us, that meant SharePoint lists. Um, it meant Word documents, meant Outlook email, things like that. So we were able to take the UiPath Um, software and teach it all of the clicks that it needed to reproduce that, you know, task. So every time the manager updated, you know, the Word document, we could then go back and update that back within our audit software system. And it 
all was automated and things like that. So that was just, that's just one example of the things that we decided to build. I will tell you, we were the first group within our entire company to use UiPath with SharePoint. And we were really proud of that at first. <laughs> and then we realized why we were the only ones doing it that way. And it's because anytime SharePoint changes, which if you use SharePoint a lot, you know, Microsoft likes to put little updates in uh -huh. and that button moves over just a little bit uh -huh. and the bot can't find it. Right. So it ended up, it was great learning for us to go through and build that and, and kind of learn, you know, all the steps that it takes to um, automate the process. But at the same time, um, it ended up not really being functional. We're actually not using it anymore because SharePoint gets updated so much. Um, so that kind of brings me to the second technology that we started looking into, which is through Microsoft and it was called Flow. Now it's called Power Automate. Mm -hmm. And that technology works fantastic with all the Microsoft products. They have other connectors, if you will. It works with a bunch of different apps as well, but it's more on the back end. Um, even though it's still low code, no code, there's a lot of templates that are out there. You just kind of input little behind the scenes things, tell it which fields to look at. And it runs exactly the same as what UiPath would have, except that it's actually working with the products versus just looking for something on the screen. Gotcha. Um, so it's not based on images. It's really, um, you know, based on, like I said, like the tables or the fields. Um, and it's not technical. Like I said, it's still um, very like template based. You're mm -hmm. just really, you know, picking something from a drop down list that it's like, oh, hi, Sarah Kuhn. Um, here's your email box. Which emails would you like to look at? You know, those kinds of things. So, um, but those are kind of, that's kind of how we got into it was really just, um, you know, the company started it, we started looking into it so we would know how to audit it. And then we started thinking about how could we use it? Um, I can tell you some more stories about like what works, what doesn't work, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I do want to get to those, but I want to, are there any more, uh, power automate examples that you could give? Cause I know, and you're talking about how easy it is. And yeah. I know this, um, He's like a sales coach kind of guy mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he built something and he's not technical at all. And I, I, this was, I don't know, over a year ago now that I guess I thought yeah. think about it. And so um, I know he did it by himself. Again, he's yeah. not uh, a programmer or anything yeah. like that. And so do, are there some other examples that you could give maybe that, that maybe would yeah. hit home? So Power Automate. So it's, it's one of those that like you can literally go in and it's almost like a little Google search bar in there and you can just basically type out high level what you're trying to do and it will offer you templates that are basically already built and then you just say the, the name of the SharePoint list or whatever it might be. So um, a couple of other things that we have. So one of them that I have actually takes my Outlook calendar, that's my work Outlook calendar, and it synchronizes it with my Google calendar, that's my personal calendar. And that way when I'm not at work and I don't want to have to go log in, I can just quickly look at my Google calendar and know like if I'm busy or not busy, things like that. So that's just one example of, you know, kind of a personal way that I use it. Um, but we also have it doing, um, it can sit on top of, you know, it can be sitting at a SharePoint and every time something gets updated on that SharePoint, um, you kind of give it some parameters around what, what you might want it to look for. And if it meets that criteria, it sends you an email. You can build the email in HTML to give you specific links or whatever that might be. So like, for example, org announcements, like at our company, they post a word document on a SharePoint that announces the org announcement. So when you work for a company that's, you know, 
10,000, 20,000, 30,000 people, there's a lot of org announcements and working in internal audits. Sometimes you want to know what those are so that you're getting information to the right place. Um, so that's another one that you don't even have to think about it. You, you're you just waiting for it to see, hey, an org announcement happened. And then it's sending you the information that you need. So those are just some other um, ideas of things. Like really there's so many different things. You can even, I don't know how many people use Microsoft Teams, but you can right click on your Teams chat and send it to your planner so that, you know, when somebody asks you to do something in Microsoft chat, in Teams chat, and you need to follow up on it later, now it's in your Microsoft planner. So nice. it's back to my favorite app. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, those, that is, those examples are great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, what were some of the, what are some of the I guess maybe to bring this back around. So Power mm -hmm. Automate, super easy, UiPath, relatively mm -hmm. easy. But I know like you talked about with the the button on SharePoint moving, yeah. you're using UiPath, the maintenance on bots is what seems to really kind of get people. It's like, yeah, we can build this thing and it works yeah. for a little bit and then it breaks. So then we're back in fixing it and the whole, the time saved through the automation kind of gets right. burned because we're in there fixing it again. So could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that's where, you know, for us, that was a huge learning point. That was a, you know, something that we didn't really understand. And the things that we thought were going to be really easy to automate, because to us, they were very straightforward process. Mm -hmm. They were still a very long process. So, you know, something that, you know, takes you, you know, two minutes to do, it could be a hundred clicks or 500 clicks and you have to program every single one of those clicks. <laughs> so even though it's very quick for you to do and the computer can do it even faster, um, you have to think about that if anything in that process changes, there's the potential for that bot to break. So I think a few things, number one, whenever we're looking at a process, we first of all decide you know, which parts of the process do we want to automate? You don't have to automate the process from start to finish. That's one thing we learned. You can automate any piece of that. Um, number two is which is the right tool to use to automate this process? So which of these things is going to work the best? I mean, it could be Power Automate. It could be UiPath. It could even be using batch files, you know, something that's been around since you know, forever. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different tools that are out there that you can use. It could just be a macro, you know, something. So there's a lot of different ways to think through like, which is the best way to do it. Um, and then I think the other thing is, is the time tracking. So, you know, build something in so that you can see how much time are you saving. And then, you know, start kind of using it. And after you start building a few things, you get to know better how long it will take you to build. And so you can kind of on the front end say, okay, I think it's going to take me about this long to build it. After you've been using it for a little while, then you can determine, is it worth the upkeep? Mm -hmm. The other thing we've noticed is if it's something you're not doing daily, um, probably don't want to use UiPath because it's likely that how much time it takes you to fix those small changes isn't right. going to be enough. If you're doing it weekly, that's probably about as far as I would go on UiPath. Like if you're using it less than weekly, I wouldn't go UiPath. Um, but Power Automate, we've had very little problems with those because they don't change very often. Um, so even those like that run monthly or not even monthly, you know, I mean, how do you know when in the next org chart changes yeah. coming? You don't. So those are things that it's running in the background all the time. Um, it may just not spit something out to you. So I think 
understanding those things and then also just kind of building into your process something that alerts you when it stops working so building in those you know errors mm -hmm. um to say hey i stopped working yeah um so that you know when to go fix it but yeah it's just a little bit of a definitely a learning curve and i think it gets frustrating for some people to to not just say oh let's just use this and i make them have the conversation up front about what's the best tool so yeah. and who's going to fix it because it's not always going to be me um i want other people to know how to use it too <laughs> yeah so are, are you guys going with the approach of having almost like a c a center of excellence within internal like a does it make sense yeah. to have a full-time person doing that if you have the resources to do that yeah so we have a center of like center of excellence at the company and then we have citizen developers within the company so you have the person who owns the project who built the project who will be a resource but then you also have kind of these citizen developer pods that are around that can also assist so it's not like you know this one person built it and nobody else can fix it um it has to be it goes through kind of it has there are other people available um that can fix it so within our group we have a handful of people who have done the full training and feel very comfortable building things and fixing things um but i think that um nobody no one person has it but there's is definitely maybe not even a third of the group um that yeah. that has that knowledge. We've kind of bucketed our expertise into RPA, data analytics, and then um, other like OCR technology, the optical character recognition. So each, each person in the group can decide which of those they want to kind of be their specialty. Gotcha. Um, and then, yeah, and you can pick more than one if you want, but that's kind of how we're managing it, if you will. Hey everyone, thank you for continuing to listen to the show. We wanna say thank you again to our sponsors over at AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy to use audit risk and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. I know you've been working on this dynamic risk assessment with yeah. data being the driver yeah. of that. And mm -hmm. I, people talk about that in like blogs and, and you'll read mm -hmm. uh, things, things like that in articles that there's like utopian thing where it's like, oh, we just look at this dashboard every day and it tells us what we need to go audit and we go audit it yeah. and we keep going. It's like, I don't think that's really going on. Um, so anyway, what, what's the journey been like for you guys? Where are you at? What were the, the pain points there? And what's it kind of looking like it going yeah. to be? So this, this started a few years ago for us. I was actually at a local chapter meeting in Tulsa and we had, funny enough, we had the city of Tulsa, the mayor of the city of Tulsa was our speaker um, because it was internal audit month. Um, so this was probably three years ago, maybe. Um, and he was talking about how the city of Tulsa was using data to make decisions. And I was like, you know, hey, go mayor for using like <laughs> actual data um, to make decisions, even though I don't live in that city. But yeah. still, you know, I love the fact that, you know, we're running government a little bit more like a business. Nice. Um, and anyway, after seeing his presentation, there was something he said 
um, during the presentation that kind of sparked, you know, an, an idea for me. So I went back and, and met with my manager and kind of, you know, talked to him a little bit about, you know, it's, you know, we had been kind of thinking about how can we use more data analytics? How can we make this work for us? And that's really, you know, when we came up with the idea about this dynamic risk assessment. And the idea was, let's sit down, let's look at our audit universe. We have about 40 items within our audit universe. Um, and so we said, let's sit down, let's go through each item on our list and let's say, is there data? And if there is data, um, is there enough information, you know, without really getting into the details of it, that would make us want to change when we do the audit? So that was kind of where we started was, if is there data available? Mm -hmm. um, and if there is data, would we be able to tell ourselves, you know, would that change the timing of when we would want to do the audit? Okay. So we just went through and basically ranked everything in the universe, A, B, and C, like C being no data. So like, it's just like interviews, you know, things like that. Yeah. But there could be, there may be some things like there's, there's definitely a lot of data around insurance, but we're self-insured as a company. And probably that information is not going to make us change when we do the audit um, versus like, you know, in maybe sourcing and purchasing, there's a lot of data. Mm -hmm. And if we saw something there, it might make us change when we do the audit. So you kind of get an idea for, you know, how we kind of prioritize things um, within the universe. So that was really the first step. Second step was, again, what tool are we going to use? Um, and we decided the company was really leaning towards um, an application called Spotfire, which is really geared more towards oil and gas, but it's just visualization software. It's like a Power BI or, or anything yeah. else like that. Um, so the first step was really get everyone to understand how to use the software, how to use Spotfire. Um, and then we decided that we would focus on the items that had data and that that data could potentially change when we would do the audit. So we wanted to focus on those A items. And we decided that we were going to align it with the current audit schedule. Um, so knowing that it might take us more than a year or two um, to get all of these done. Um, but as we were preparing for the audit, we might, you know, you're learning about where the data is and how to use the data at the same time. So it made sense to kind of build it along with the schedule. Um, we ended up hiring a person who was going to be dedicated specifically to this task um, because I was still doing audits. So even though I was involved with it, I was very much still doing audits. We're a pretty small team um, and we just needed somebody who could be on this full time. Um, at, during COVID was when she actually started her first day in the office was driving through the circle drive to pick up her laptop. She never actually came into the office. Nice. Um, so that was a unique situation. Um, and she and I, um, she actually lives and works in Texas and I live and work in Oklahoma. Um, so we worked virtually together for basically the first year. Um, and you know, we kind of divvied up the list of things. We divvied up, you know, the audits. We worked with the people who were planning those and really started building them out. So over time, that's changed a little bit. We have about, I don't know, 10 or 12 that have been built now. Um, so the progress has been a little bit slower, I think, than we thought. But just like everyone, even though we're allowed to have access to the data, it still takes a long time to get the data yeah. um, and figure out the SQL and all the things that you need to get that right. But um, kind of zooming back a little bit, you know, we one of the first things we start 
having, when we're talking about what are we going to build, we talk about what are the key risk indicators? So what are kind of the big things that we, you know, what are the most important, let's say three things about this? Like if we can only answer three questions, what would they be? And it's more around when do we do the audit? Do we do the audit now or later versus what is the scope of the audit? Those are kind of deeper level things that we get into later. But for the dynamic risk assessment, we really want to focus on those high level, you know, do we need to do an audit right now versus if we're doing an audit, what do we look at? Um, so there's a few different levels and layers that we've built into all of this information. Um, we have all of them in their own separate files that sit within a library. Um, and right now we have another team within our audit team that is kind of trying to really define further that next vision of how do we actually dashboard the dashboards, <laughs> you know, so yeah. that like you were saying, you can look at, you know, this dashboard and see the priority of like what's next and what's, how's the risk changed and things like that. So I think, um, you know, that's kind of where we are in the process. Like I said, this started several years ago now it's been like three or four years when the idea came and now you know we have you know not even half of of the of the dashboards built so it's a little bit of a slow process but it's definitely yielding results as we go you know we're seeing some of these yield results for example one of the first ones we built was around maintenance so i work for an oil and gas company and maintenance of items is a very um, important process within within our risk universe. So as we're looking through that, as we built out the data analytics, as we determined what those key risk indicators were, we were really able to, to see laser focus where the risk was for the company and reduce the audit hours by 80%. So, you know, something that we would have had to go out and sample and, you know, really just go test and to find out if there was risk or not. Now we had all that information up front and we could already say, we don't need to go here. We don't need to go there. We don't need to look at this. Um, this is where we need to focus. So we're definitely seeing results as we're building it. Um, and that's what, you know, keeps us on this path. But um I think for me, I think I was a little naive in thinking like, oh, no problem. We'll just get in here. We'll get this done. Like we'll, we'll build 10 a year. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's gone a little slower than that, but still with good results. So. What, do you, what do you think the biggest factor in it not going as fast or going slower than you thought would be? I think it's really just those data systems. So, you know, things that sit in our main system, SAP, our ERP system, that's easy because we have a data warehouse where all that sits and it's very well documented. But for some of our other information, you know, like contracts has its own system, commercial has its own system, um, you know, our land administration has its own system. Like, and so when you start, you know, okay, now I have this Oracle database and then I have that Oracle database and then this one is over in a total totally different system. So really just having to stop and work with the database administrator for all the different systems and understand all the tables and the data fields. Like we thought we knew what we wanted until we really, you know, saw the data. And then it was like, okay, well, let's, let's revisit. Let's discuss again. Like, what is it that we're actually asking? What is the real question? So I think that just, it just takes longer um, when you have to start from zero. Okay. So we've talked about what you've done with data and we've talked about the RPA tools and, and how that journey went as well. 
And it seems like you're in a position that a lot of internal audit departments want to be in, in terms of like, hey, I know we need automation. I know we need analytics, but we don't have the resources or or for whatever reason, they aren't there yet. And so you being there right now, I'm curious, what's the next thing for you and the internal audit team out there? Like, what's the next thing you want? Yeah, I mean, I think we're just always like, pushing, pushing the boundaries and trying to, you know, we're by no means experts in any of the things we're already doing, but we're, we're definitely, you know, just getting better at implementing the things we have, the tools we have and looking for ways to do that. And now while we're still building, while we're still using those same technologies, we're also kind of looking towards what's next, which for us is machine learning. So, you know, how can we use machine learning? We hear, we hear the stories, we read the articles, you know, we, we hear about all these, you know, success stories from others with machine learning. So we're just trying to see like, how do we do that? And we're just really starting to kind of pilot those technologies and really see, you know, are there predictive analytics? You know, how, how do we find the thing before it happens versus looking back at, you know, the data or even real time looking at what happened this month Mm -hmm. is different than, you know, finding it before it happens. So I think for us, the next thing is machine learning. Um, and you know, we, we've, we've, we've dipped our toe in the water here. Um, we've started building a few things. Um, we've had a lot of conversations, um, with, you know, Amazon web services and others, not just within our department, but just in the company in general, we've been kind of asking around like who else is using it? How can we leverage what's being used? Um, so specifically I would say with machine learning, you know, some of the stuff that, um, is kind of on our radar right now is text analytics. Mm -hmm. That's really kind of where we are. Um, You know, when you think about, you know, millions of journal entries a year, um, trying to see which journal entries are the most risky, one of the things you can use is text and looking through that text to see what are the outliers, what are the things that are different, um, what are the things that are unexpected. Um, And so using, you know, Python to help with, you know, finding, similar like word phrases. So like bigrams, trigrams, um, sorry, that's kind of techie. Um, just saying these two words often appear together or these three words often appear together. Um, or saying we don't expect to see these words or whatever it might be and coming up with a list of keywords for it to look through. Um, and so we've, we've done that. We've built some of those just to kind of try out. Um, we're also on the side, just using good old fashioned statistics and regression analysis um, to see, you know, and then also we have a tool that Amazon says that we, you know, Amazon Web Services says they have a tool that we can use out of the box that will do the same thing. So we're just kind of comparing all three of these right now to see which works the best. Um, and, you know, do we have to pay for it? Can we do it ourselves? You know, all of those things. So we're just kind of piloting that right now to see like, is there benefit? Um, how much benefit? Is it worth it? Or do we just stick with what we've been having success with? Like, so I think that's just kind of where we are right now. I think just to kind of throw out there, some of the early lessons we've learned is when people say unsupervised machine learning, they have different levels of transactions. Um, everyone we've talked to says you have to have 10,000 errors in the process for unsupervised learning. And I don't know about most people, but we don't have 10,000 errors in our, in our transactions. So that's a high hurdle, um, to get past, but, uh, 
yeah. So anyway, that's just kind of on what's next for us. That's kind of where we're looking into and just keep adding to our library of analytics, keep adding to our library of robotics and automations, um, building things with the optical character recognition. That's also, you know, we're looking for how do we integrate that more and what we're doing with contracts and different things. So yeah. very interesting what you guys are doing. Is there anything we've talked bots and data and machine learning? Is there anything else that you'd want to leave the audience with? Gosh, I don't know. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I would just say, you know, I think, you know, whenever you read the stories or you talk to people and they mention, oh yeah, we're using this or we're using that, like ask them for the details, ask them for the specifics, because I think that's, what's really been helpful to us is to actually have those conversations. And that's actually how I ended up here. I was talking to somebody else in our um, IIA chapter, telling him the specifics of some of the things we've been doing. And he said, hey, you should talk to this guy. So I think just, just follow up on that. And I hope I've given actual examples because I think that's what we all need is, yeah. you know, what worked, what didn't work? Um, how did you do it? Like, that's the the really key thing in, in getting everybody further ahead. So if you could grab every auditor in the world by the shoulders and shake them and say, just do this one thing, what would that thing be? I would have to say, um, know where you are in the process. Um, because I think that people, whether you're brand new to audit or you've been doing it for a hundred years, I think that people can get lost in the process and they forget what risk am I looking at? What is the control that I'm testing? And it's especially right now with so much data that's at our fingertips, we can really get lost in like all the, Ooh, what, what about this? What if I look at that? And so just remember where you are in the process, remember what it is you're actually supposed to be testing. And not that you can't go beyond that. Just remember where you are and decide, is that something I need to do now? Or is that something I need to stop and pause and have a conversation before I go further? Um, because I think a lot of people spin their wheels and, you know, either get lost or get way down the road or, you know, they start looking at all the data and thinking, oh, that's a finding, that's a problem. But it's like, well, actually, if I would have, you know, stopped, that risk really wasn't a big risk. So yes, maybe it's something that, you know, but I shouldn't have wasted my time on it because it was such a low risk. So yeah, yeah maybe there's a bunch that are wrong, but who cares? Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah that's yeah. great. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.